Welcome to the More Life Podcast, where creative, problem solvers, and entrepreneurs talk about squeezing more out and finding meaning in this crazy thing we call life. Let's dive in. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the More Life Podcast. Today, I'm with another special guest in the building, Khalil Maktoto, uh, creative director, creative artist, uh, and content creator online. He also runs his own uh, creative studio called Khalil.co. Uh, Khalil, say what's up to the people, man. How you doing? What's up, people? I'm doing great. Uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. I have not been a guest on a podcast in a very long time, so it's, it's awesome to be yeah. on the other side of the the couch. Nice. Nice. So you run a podcast, I'm assuming. And you said before the show started, you're looking to bring it back up. But before we get into that, because we'll maybe we'll touch on that too. Let people know the type of work that you do. It's like, I know you from IG. I've seen some of your work, your creative work, your videos. You got a great style, very clean, lots of punchy contrast, all that kind of stuff. So let people know what you do for a living. So I'm actually a communication specialist for a union. I work on, in Oakville and my age, I live here and I work out of uh, the city and I actually do quite a lot. It's, it's, it's a, such a sucky answer to say that like I do a lot, but I shoot weddings. I work full time as a communication specialist and I run my creative uh, agency on the side. Um, the work that I do for weddings is quite straightforward. The work that I do for uh, the union is quite straightforward where things get really creative and, and uh, uh, different for me is in, in the agency world where I get to mix up my clientele. So I've, I've done work for RBC, CIBC, but also work for nonprofits like um, Pick Waste based out of Pickering. Like they're just two guys picking up trash and doing motivational talks. I love them. And uh, I think that's what I love about like what I do is that I get to meet a lot of people. So if I were to kind of sum it up into one thing, I talk to a lot of people and then I make creative content for them. That's what I do. Nice. Nice. I love it, man. Yeah. Creative entrepreneurs or creative people were like the problem solvers. A lot of time, if you have a, and you know, I worked in communications for a little bit, so everything is communications. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like any type of event or any type of new initiative, any type of rebranding of messaging all comes down to um, how are we going to communicate this? Who needs to be in the know? What's the process for rollout? And that's more on the marketing side. Um, But yeah, communication is so powerful. Being a creative person is something that really... uh, kind of leverages a lot of different skills, right? When you're, when you're in that kind of space. So you just are a recent grad. Um, Tell me a little bit more about how you started the agency portion. How did you start making some videos? Because, you know, everybody now has a camera. So it's kind of like, how do we make this whole thing stand out? How do we make a space for ourselves? Um, And what was kind of your intentions when you first started like, creating videos and making, you know, short clips and ads for different companies. So I've been in this industry since I landed in Canada. Um, I'm actually an immigrant here. I'm on a work permit, so I haven't fully 
uh, uh, immigrated yet, but it's on our way. I came here in 2017 to study at the University of Waterloo. And during my first summer, uh, after the first two terms, I was desperate, desperate for a job. I wanted to work for anyone that I could in the creative field. I was quite, I was quite picky about that. Uh, Other people were telling me it's fine to work retail. It's fine to work groceries. And I told them like, no, I really want to do what I want to do. And if I don't get to do that, then I'll do it for myself. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll find people that, that may want to pay me. Uh, luckily, I, I came across a studio that was willing to hire me. Um, and uh, they taught me the ins and outs of the uh, nitty gritty business that, that all creatives find themselves in, which is the, the world of pitching your, your <laughs> creative ideas to big clients and hoping that they say yes. And if they don't say yes, then you've kind of just spent a week creating that concept. That's the world that I live so in. So from I lived the in that jump, you were already pitching to big clients. From yeah, the jump, so, you were already uh, like, I was, I was yeah. the sole videographer in, in the agency that I worked for. Um, and wow. uh, it was a lot of pressure because, I, of course, I know how to make videos. At that point, I was already quite good with my camera. I had known uh, and knew how to do some motion graphics, work with After Effects. I was that kid, the kid that, g- that gets out of high school knowing <laughs> how to make videos, right? We all know that one yeah. kid, and I was that kid. Um, where things were, were difficult was I had to hone the actual marketing side. I thought I knew marketing, and then I realized I don't know marketing. Uh, probably the oh. biggest hurdle for a lot of creatives is thinking, like, I know this. And then you kind of come, a- come across it, and, and it gets really difficult really quickly, and you're kind of in out of your depth and you find yourself like quitting a project, hating the job, yeah. thinking that like the entire, the entire world's at fault, not realizing. You, you, that, you like, know marketing you know, until you meet somebody who really knows marketing. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you're, you're not all that until you actually become all that. So that was me. That was during my first year in that agency. And then afterwards uh, I realized like, mm, maybe the small agency life is not for me. Um, I started mm. looking for other opportunities the upcoming summer. I worked for RBC. I thought, I was like, well, what's, what's it like to work for creative in a bank? And it's exactly yeah. that. I was working for creative in a bank. Uh, don't yeah. let anyone tell you <laughs> that uh, it's, it's as amazing as they think it is. It's, it's working for creative in a bank. Um, awesome people. Great, great, lovely people. But it's not really what you may be looking for if you're, if you're into the whole creative scene. Uh, the, the freedoms are not there. So I, I, I went I to both people extremes. It's by numbers. You are a number. You are a number, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah you kind of <laughs> paint by numbers. It's not necessarily a lot of um, open to a lot of ideas. It's just a mm-hmm. very different vibe. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that it's bad. I think it's, it, it, there's lots of benefits you can gain learning some stuff in there. It's just different. That's exactly it's just, it's just different. different. It's just different. <laughs> and if you're and really it wasn't creative, for me. you yeah. yeah, it could be for somebody else. <laughs> it, oh, oh, it most definitely is because I know people who are thriving, thriving in RBC, CIBC, wow. these places. They're they're thriving, and I realized that I thrived when they were my clients, not when I worked with them. 100%. And then it came to me. It came to me that like, okay, so I need to I need to find the middle because I need to at least if I've tasted the biggest and the smallest. What, what is it right. like right down the middle? So I worked for Kira Tech. It's a tech company based in Toronto, 200 people right there, smack down nice. in the middle of medium. So that's what a medium sized company would be defined as uh, by, by yeah. most senses of the word. 
And uh, I learned it's like, oh, I love this. But I asked myself, why do I love this? Why is it that like this is what's working with me? Oh, it's because you have this little creative agency working within a, a medium-sized company. We got some freedoms, but we have structures. So I started thinking like, okay, how can I now take all this information working for small, mm-hmm. medium, and large and take that into after I graduate? What do I want to do? I could not for the life of me answer that question. I could not. I could not find a single solution to that because I liked certain aspects of it, right? I liked certain little bits and pieces of working for small. I like little pieces of working for medium and I like little pieces of working for big. For big, it's security. For medium, it's, it's freedom and resources. And for small, it's, it's total creative freedom. And that is a powerful thing yeah. as a creative. And then I thought, well, why don't I just do everything? You know, at this point, I've, I've, I've kind of learned enough to try my hand at everything. How, what is it going to look like to do everything at once? So now I'm working for the union. I'm running my own company and on the weekends I shoot weddings, which is a nice stable little thing because I get weddings. I shoot them. They're quite easy. Um, I have the equipment for it already. It's in my, it's in my wheelhouse and I'm loving it so far. Absolutely loving it. How are you doing? How are you managing all these things? Because you have a full-time job, a part-time or ongoing job with, you know, agency. And then you also have your weekends built up. Like that's just so much going on do you have like systems and processes to kind of handle all of those different buckets like weddings weddings are fun for me to shoot i don't do weddings anymore i stopped a long time ago um weddings are fun to shoot but then you have all this footage what happens with that and you know um running your own agency is fun but at the same time it's like there's lots of other stuff like invoicing and if you have contractors that help you finish some of the work payroll and all these other things that have to and and juggling different clients at the same time so how do you stay like focused bro that's a lot going on i really respect the work that i'm given i think it, it it starts from there because a lot of people may, may think highly enough of themselves and their capabilities that they can like, you know, like I can do this project in three hours and you tell the client I'll deliver it in a day. <laughs> now, when your motivation is at its optimal point, you can totally do it in three hours. But say, for example, right. on most days, you're only operating at 75, 50% motivation. Okay, so you have to measure yourself, pace yourself correctly, respect the work that you're given. And then tell the client, hey, it takes two. You can do it in three. You know you can. But that two is the respect that you're giving the job because you know that your motivation levels need to match it. So I do that first and foremost. I, I, I assess the, the level of whatever I'm taking on. And then I need to give it the, the right amount of time and then add a little bit on, on top of that. So I, I work 40 hours a week full time. That's, that's hard set. I don't break that. I do the nine to five like everybody else does or eight to four, seven to three, depending on what I'm feeling. I try to keep a habit um, and, and work when I need to work, rest at key critical points during the day and then work again. Uh, so optimizing my time was probably the second thing. After giving it the respect that it deserves, mm. I need to optimize my time. So I wake up at exactly eight every day. I clean the house for 45 minutes. I eat a small breakfast for 15 minutes. And then I start work at exactly nine when I'm ready to go. And, and I've done what I need to get conked out during the morning. 
And then I work the nine to five. I give the work that, you know, I give my best according to what I can do that day. And then afterwards, I nap, I rest, I take a little bit of a breather, you know, five to seven, five to eight, I eat and do whatever I need to do during those three hours. And then eight until 11, I work again. And that's Monday to Sunday. So I get rest. I do. I prioritize sleep. Like I really try to get rid of eye bags and sleep as much as I, I can. But like the rest of the time is working. And I consider that like I'm working on something that I already enjoy. So it's the same thing as YouTube. Right. It's the same thing as Netflix. I wouldn't enjoy Netflix more than I enjoy work. And that's where it yeah. is. I can balance things out. So you are a person of habit. Um, and you find those pockets of deep work. And that's something that I'm so passionate about. Your body tells you it's rhythm in terms of when you're your most optimal to do things. I had to learn this the hard way. I used to be um, very creative in the nighttime and, you know, but I would always be wanting to go out with friends and doing stuff like that. And I was never capitalizing the time when I was most creative. And so what ended up happening was I missed that window of opportunity. And now I have kids and my cycle is different in the sense of my mornings are my most productive times. I'm a morning person. I like to get up early. I like uh, um, when it's quiet in the house. I like the idea that my brain is has been, I guess, working through the night and I wake up and that's when I remember all the critical things that I should be doing. So one of the things I do, I use a project management tool called Asana. One of the things that I do, I immediately when I get up, usually make a quick little list of here are the things that have been on my mind that have been like either bothering me or um, concerning me or, or just things I'm like, oh yeah, you didn't write that down anywhere. And I had to give up the idea that I could be creative on demand. Um, and I'm like, oh, no, yeah. The, yeah, you can't do that. People expect that you can just be like on demand. I'm going to be creative between one and four. And I'm like, that's just not possible. But if you don't exercise the muscle at the right time, um, then you're going to be caught in a place where you're not finding that rhythm of deep work. You know, I think it's like trial and error. There's no set answer for everybody. Right. Like, no, it's very no. Different you need to understand yourself and your own body. I, I, I am a big proponent of, of listening to your rhythm and, and, mm-hmm. and then owning that. Like it, a lot of people, what they do is they, they, they try to go according to somebody else's rhythm. They go, they go to the, their mm-hmm. girlfriend, their boyfriend's rhythm. <laughs> they, they work off of their friends. You know, they, they hang out with their friends every night and, and they work off of their friends. It's okay to do that if you know that that's what works best for you. The struggle is when it's clearly not, and you're having to make sacrifices. Right. I like the idea of building everything into what already works for you. I love to listen to music. So throughout the day, I will sit on the couch and, and as part of my workday, I will give myself like a 30 minute quick, quick little zing, listen to music and just sit down there and do nothing else but listen to music. And, and I know yeah. that I need that. And I, I budget that into my, into my workday. It's, it's something that the company, the company is paying me to continue to be creative. And how do I do that? I spend time just listening to music. I don't do anything else. Maybe yeah. I'll stare outside the window and like just cross my arms and stare outside. But I, <laughs> I know because that's what unlocks it for me. It, like, it literally like I'll, you know, I'll pick up the guitar, start singing or just like yeah. jamming around. 
and immediately everything else will come through because I know myself and I was able to take yeah. the time at one point to figure that out, figure that, uh, that little tidbit out your body and your brain is filled of filled with Easter eggs that you just need to find. Yes. And the moment that you tap into That's it, so good. your brain rewards you. Your brain says, exactly. Let's do this again. Let's do this more efficiently. Let's do this again. Let's, let's do this even faster, even better this mm-hmm. time. Positive feedback loop, right? Where we're getting 100%. into the territory of, of behavioral uh, conditioning where because you're so in command of your time, you're com- in command of, of how your body responds to creative uh, stimuli, you can unlock. And then if you need to be creative from one to four, you need, you know, for a fact, I need to be listening to music at 12 and then eat lunch because one to four, I need to be creative. You've already unlocked yep. that little bit, you know, it's like a superpower. And, and <laughs> I would highly encourage anybody who hasn't already started. Think about how you work best when you work best and what unlocks it. Yeah. I listened to this podcast called the accidental creative um, with Todd Henry He's so good. I don't know if you ever heard of him before. He's a great, great read. Um, And he has so many um, conversations with really smart people about this topic as well. And one of the tips I picked up from him are two things. Number one, um, listen to the routine. Like once you've developed a routine, trust it. So what he did and what I do now, if it's time for me to go, because I go on an afternoon walk every afternoon, I go for a little walk because it clears my mind and it kind of breaks the day up into two pieces for me. Um, But if sometimes you're in the middle of doing something, what I used to do was push myself to keep going because I'm like, oh, I'm in the zone right now. Everything is clicking. And then you ruin the rest of the day because now you have spent all of your mental energy and capacity on this one thing, which could have been good, but then the rest of the day you're kind of zoned out, even with the walk, it doesn't work out the same way. So I write down on a sticky note, I write down exactly what I was thinking that I would do because the juices are flowing. So it's like, okay, this is good. I have this edit in front of me. Maybe I'm doing something um, for digital or maybe I'm doing a video. I'll write down, I was going to do this, then this, then this. And I'm going to write it down. And then I go from the walk. I trust the schedule. And then when I come back, I'm not only am I refreshed from the walk, but I'm also, I'm, I, I, I can get back into that frame of mind way faster. Because the big thing about deep work is uninterrupted, right? So when you are being interrupted by something, it actually slows down the process because you have to get yourself back. Okay, where was I? What was I doing? And you edit video. There is a flow. Once you once you jump into the rhythm of, of editing, it gets faster and faster. But the first part of ingesting footage and you know doing a rough cut or doing your selects, if you're doing photography or anything like that, that's slow. But the longer that you're in that, the longer that you're actually in Premiere or, or Lightroom or whatever, it actually starts to get faster. Okay, I know where I was. I got this other subcomposition over here. I'm going to bring it over here. And you can keep track of everything and keep moving faster. And I feel like the, that one tip changed everything. I'm like, oh, even when I'm in the zone, I can still... Uh, take the break and respect my body and say, hey, my brain will get tired soon enough by staring at a screen, by doing this type of work. Okay, I'm going to have that lunch at this time. I'm going to eat at this time because that's what I need to get the refueling happening. 
And then it's easier for me to jump back into where I was. And that's like, oh, that once I started doing that, I was like, man, that's first of all, huge. Taking a break away from the screen because so much of my work is in front of a screen. Everything is in front of a screen. And the second part is write down what you were thinking. Where were you mentally? Write it down so when you come back, it's so much faster to jump in. Um, do you do YouTube as well? Are you on YouTube? I don't make YouTube videos uh, yet. I think at some point something's gonna click in my head that'll. But I don't. I don't like to do anything that I'm not one entirely ready for. So if I'm gonna do something, yeah. I, I like to be two hundred percent ready. And basically, I'm already at the finish line by the time I start. Like ideally. Yeah. And the second thing is I don't want to do anything that I'm not. You know, I'm not even giving myself value. If I'm giving at the very least myself value and somebody else potentially listening to it value, then Oh, heck yeah, I will 100% do it. I, I, I got into the, the unfortunate habit in the past of, of creating content because it was easy and, and making whatever I could. Vlogs were, I, I made LinkedIn vlogs at one point. I was like a LinkedIn video creator. And uh, while it was great, it felt disingenuous. It felt um, fast, a little too fast without pondering mm-hmm. anything that I mm-hmm. was making. And, and I realized like, okay, oh, these are values. These are values that I'm forming right now. I'm forming little, little bits of uh, myself that are willing to say no. I'm, uh, there, are little, mm. there are little tiny pieces in my brain that are willing to say no. I'm not going to settle for that. I'm going to do a little bit more. A little bit more. A little What's bit more. a LinkedIn video creator? What's that? Uh, I've never even heard there was of a that. whole trend uh, a couple of years ago. Well, it's still a thing, but it was bigger Three years ago, LinkedIn released its, its whole video push and they, they made it like, mm-hmm. uh, they, they poised it to be a professional YouTube uh, platform. And people were really hyped about it because the algorithm was so aggressive with video. Like the algorithm entirely yeah. rewarded video content to the point where you would only see video on the feed. You know, it rewarded tagging. It rewarded, wow. it rewarded just about everything that anybody could give. So a little bit of engagement went a really long way. I could, I could get 20,000 views for zero effort whatsoever. And, and a bunch of people would comment. Uh, eventually they tweaked their algorithm to not reward it as much because yeah. uh, feeds were starting to get flooded. People were starting to get repetitive. So now other kinds of content are being uh, rewarded by LinkedIn's algorithm. Yeah, but I used to be in that. I would create yeah. just little micro vlogs and say like, hey guys, the motivation for the day is this. That's what people look for. So what on LinkedIn? It's true. People people do look for motivation and that that networking of oh he's doing that I need somebody like that or he's doing this I need somebody like this and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of that going. How do you? I don't know if you're on LinkedIn a lot. Like that that's a great uh, source for us. You know, in our agency, um, just because of the the caliber of people. When we meet with medium-sized um, businesses, that's where the marketing VP is going to be. That's where the art director or creative director is going to be. Um, and Instagram, I find more, I don't know, Instagram, I don't get business from. I don't make money off of Instagram. That's what I tell people. I'm like, I don't make money off Instagram. And all, all I see is ads. So I put a little bit of content there, but I don't actually spend a lot of time caring about um, about uh, uh, Instagram. I was just on a webinar and Gary V was one of the speakers and he talked about um, 
is LinkedIn and TikTok are the best places for web developers and designers and design creative agencies to be just because there is way more audience than there are content creators. So there are, there's way more space for you right now. Instagram, I find is very saturated with creators and with information. So it'll be harder for you to get that traction, which really, I'm like, you know what? You're right. Cause I've been doing LinkedIn so much. I haven't done TikTok. I'm still working on what I want, um, something like a TikTok to be, um, you know, for, for us. And I'm like, I don't know how that works. And I, and I don't feel like I have to do it. You know, it's very much for me. I only want to do things that I know I can do well. So I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. Uh, how about you guys with your agency? Where do you guys go uh, in terms of talking about the, the business? We're, we're on LinkedIn. Like we, yeah. at this point, I, I get, I get leads and, and, uh, uh, client bookings from, from word of mouth from people seeing like, Hey, like I've seen your work on LinkedIn. <laughs> nice. that's, that's the thing uh, Instagram with us, yeah. is a nice little playground for me because I think of it this way. I totally agree with what you said, by the way. Uh, what, what Gary V said about TikTok and LinkedIn being the places to go, uh, Imagine if you were in shark-infested waters and you only had one fish to share. It's a bunch of sharks, amazing, right. powerful creatures, but they could only share one fish and only consume that one fish. That's Instagram. It's, it's everybody is capable on Instagram. The people who use Instagram and know how to use Instagram, they also know how to create on Instagram. They know how to create pictures on Instagram. They know how to create videos, whatever, graphics. Instagram is a great place to build some kind of credibility and clout because you can see if you are performing on Instagram, your content must be pretty darn good. It must be pretty That's darn true. good to, to tackle their algorithm. But it's far too much of a, of a Goliath to take on, right? You're yeah. not going to find your, your, your cash cow on Instagram. You know, it doesn't work anymore. Daniel Wellington used to do their, their influencer marketing on it, and then they pulled out right when Instagram was saturating in terms of its <laughs> uh, uh, deliverables. On, on Instagram yeah. influencer marketing. LinkedIn is still f- figuring out its feet. People clearly don't know mm-hmm. how, how to uh, do uh, great design and great communications work on LinkedIn. It's not, it's not something that comes naturally to everyone. You'll see a lot of people following the trend. They'll break lines up and they'll, they'll find out little hacks here and there. But, but there's a gold mine of things to discover because the platform is not mature enough for that yet. Even the way that they present right. their photos, they present their photos in a square grid and then split it up between one and two, like, like really yeah. tall portrait photos. That's weird. That's, that's, that's LinkedIn <laughs> doing that, right? And it, sh- it clearly shows that they don't know yet the best way to present it. Facebook figured it out a long time ago. It's one Big yep. photo, one, two, three underneath, one, two, three squares, and everything squares. Squares are such a great uh, way to deliver that information. So I agree yeah. with you 100%. I love LinkedIn. I've always been an advocate for it. My issue was the content that I was creating and that I was seeing. It was mm-hmm. easy, uh, effortless, and not in a good way. And um, I thought there, there needs to be more. Um, I need to give, right. I need to give like, my all into something that I'm going to do. So, yeah. 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 Um, let's talk a little bit about the, um, the agency, Khalil.co. So what are the, I guess, main 
services you're offering. And I know you have experience in, you know, your first job you had, they showed you how to pitch to larger clients. Let's firstly, let's talk about what you guys offer. What do you guys are known for and do as, as Khalil.co? And then let's also talk about like, um, what did you learn in that first role? I feel like a lot of our listeners on the, on this show would love to know, Hey, I, I'm just starting out. What should I do to land bigger clients, not just personal brands? You know, it's a it's a big jump when we left, you know, my agency left doing personal brands and would go to then say, hey, we're going to now do with corporate, medium sized businesses, um, larger companies, you know, where where uh, the dollar is not necessarily the end all be all. They're always looking about creative output, they're looking at style, they're looking at deliverables and timelines as well. So let's talk a little bit about that, man. So I have a very, very young agency. It doesn't generate my full income. Otherwise, I'd be running it full time. So I have to disclose that for sure to anybody who's listening yeah. and, and who's curious. I, I, am, I am in this with you. I am in the, the battle with you. So the perspective I'm going to be sharing with you right now is the perspective of somebody who's still learning. So we're doing this together. Don't take it as if I've, I've, I've landed huge success. I have, I have clients, but it's not like I can... I can feed myself and uh, if I were to get married down the line, I'm not there yet with a full-time, I have a full-time job. So just wanted to take my advice with a grain of salt. Um, But how I I get clients is they know me for motion graphics. It's, uh, I'll say it like me, because this is what I'm particularly skilled at. My, uh, the agency as a whole, I have a couple guys that I outsource video work to. And that's what we do on the grander scheme of things. We make videos, we shoot corporate client work. It's, it's in and out. The creative uh, input in the beginning is quite, it's quite minimal. You follow a concept that they already had in mind. You execute it, you deliver, you get paid. Well, quite a simple business model. So I developed first, how I got into this is I developed my website first and foremost. I needed a really strong portfolio. I I prioritized that initially. I wanted all my work to be in one place and for me to be able to sell that because I was selling my work. I wasn't selling my company. I wasn't selling anything else because nobody Mm -hmm. knows my name. I had to remember that. Nobody knows my name. I can't afford to have a blank website that's super minimalist and and it's just my name. And I knew that because- (laughs) Nobody respects my work. So how can they even respect my name? So I needed to make my work respectable first and foremost. And once I was proud enough of the work that I had, I built that website and put it all in, in that place. And I continuously iterated on it. I, I basically thought of my website as the storefront of my business. And I, knew I wanted to be flashy as all heck. I wanted somebody to land on my website and say, this is amazing. So what I did is I obsessively over the six months, I asked everybody that I could, what are your thoughts on this? And it evolved from immense crap to what it is today, which is a little, <laughs> something I'm a little bit more proud of. It's still not there. I'm, I'm actually in the process of uh, building it up again. But it took a lot of trying because I knew that that was my digital storefront. So I defined early on, where is my business going to operate? Where are people going to see my work? And how are they going to pay me for it? Um, a lot of people focus on portfolio, but the next step after that is like, I don't know what to do next. How do I actually profit from this? 
I had the reverse issue. I knew exactly how to, uh, at the very least, ask for money. Um, mm-hmm. And I just didn't know, like, yo, like, what is my creative style? I had to learn all that. I came from a business background and I'm, I'm jumping into the creative world with, with open arms. So I started that. I built my website and then I started getting clients. I started seeing like, okay, people are interested in this. Um, I would get like a somebody interested or somebody I'd get a word of mouth recommendation. And the first thing that I would send them an email of is, hi there, it's a pleasure to e-meet you. You can check out my portfolio and body of work at HTTPS colon slash slash Khalil.co. And you can let me know which of the videos there you like and we can, and I can talk to you about it. I can break down my work and you can see like, how can, how can my work fulfill exactly what you're looking for? And if the client doesn't know what they're looking for, you help them out with that. And I, I, that one at the very least, I knew how to do. So yeah, I, I I had to build my website first. I wanted to have a respectable portfolio to show. And and were you promoting it uh, online? Like, were you saying, hey, check out my new site, check out this new company I just started? Like, you know, I know you got feedback from your friends about the site itself, but once you built the first acceptable, the public version of your site, was it something that you spoke about constantly online or was it something that you were like then scheduling out um, some of the portfolio pieces to go on LinkedIn or on Instagram or Facebook and point people back to the site? Was there a strategy to get views on the website? I should have done that. Um, in hindsight, <laughs> that would have been like, that would have yeah. been super intelligent earlier on. I'm doing that now. But like back then, it was just all a hodgepodge of whatever I could get together. And then the first thing that I really wanted to do was change all of my bios, change everything so that if somebody searches for my name, if I go in incognito mode and somebody searches for my name, even just my first name, Khalil, ideally I'm in there. I'm in there on the first page. If somebody searches that now, that's pretty, that's pretty, uh, um, what do you call this? That's a, that's a that's a high goal to want to achieve. So first name, last name, what's the first thing that shows up? Is it my website? No, it's my LinkedIn. Right now, it's my LinkedIn. Before, it used to be LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and then my website. So right. it's fourth. So if somebody searches for my name, I want to make sure that uh, the SEO is solid. So I built my website SEO, SEO in the background. That was one of the key things that I needed to do. Um, search queries being Motion Graphics Toronto. My name, Khalil Magtoto, because a lot of my recommendations are word of mouth. So I need to make sure that my name was Googleable. Um, and whatever it is that you're doing for your business, however you want to approach it. Clearly, I, I tagged on my name into my business. So I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. banging on the, the value of my name. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a huge risk because my name can be easily <laughs> tarnished and it's the business that's tied directly to it. Right. It's a risk that I'm taking and I'm willing to take. But the, the, Potential rewards are immense for other people. They don't want to do that. So if you do that, make sure that you're Googleable. Make sure that whatever it is that you want to do, if you want to be a wedding videographer, make sure that if somebody searches Toronto wedding videographer, your name better come up on that first page because they're not going to the second page. People don't go to the second page. Nope. They only go to the second page if they are desperate. They are desperate for an answer that doesn't already exist. And those people don't, they, they rarely exist. You know, there's not a lot of them who are willing to go 
that far and go to the second page or use Google intelligently. No. Um, so yeah, that's, no, that's, I, that's what I did. That was the most that I did. <laughs> no, but it's good to understand that because sometimes people have an understanding or idea like, oh, you know, everyone must just know what to do. And I'm the only one who doesn't know what to do. And it's good that you kind of lay out the fact that I say, hey, I was kind of winging it. I, I'm like, I was trying different things. I just knew Still that I am. wanted to have a really good press process. Exactly. There's no perfect, there's no like mountaintop where it's like, oh, I'm here now and everything's perfect. Even someone like we just mentioned, Gary V, he is always refining, learning. How can I make this better? How can I find new tactics and new ways to help the clients that I serve, right? Because I know he has an online personality, but he also has clients that he does work for, does work with. So if you're an entrepreneur, if you're somebody who's just starting out or you're somebody who's been doing this for a couple of years, there is like this roller coaster of things that happen where it's kind of like, this is a great day, everything's fantastic. And then before you know, it's like, this sucks. You know, you have imposter syndrome, nothing is going the way I wanted. And then someone pays you and it's like, oh, I see, I can make money. This is, you know, it's respectable. I, I'm on the right track and something else happens. And the best thing that you can do for yourself is say, hey, it's all part of the learning experience. Doesn't no matter how 100%. big or how small you are. It's all part of the same experience. We're learning because when you fail, you know, we got to replace that negative idea and say failure is actually feedback. That's just mm -hmm. the marketplace telling you what's not working. And wouldn't you rather know what not to do? Well, guess what? You just learned that. You just learned that lesson. Hey, this is actually not a good practice for me to do. And so then you can start to be uh, more intentional with how you move forward with your next step. It's okay to have a misstep, but take the next step properly and land surely knowing what you've learned in the past. Like it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of like um, settling your pride because sometimes you want the image of entrepreneurship because everybody's always talking like they're, especially on, 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 on IG, everyone talks like they're the expert and they have done it all and they've seen everything. And it's kind of like, no, you don't like you don't have to be perfect. You can actually kind of learn as you go. And I really genuinely feel entrepreneurship is like the new wave in this new world that we live in. You have so many people working from home. You have so many people who have like um, different interests. And because how open the world is through the Internet, you could have a marketplace all over the world. You don't have to have a zillion people to have a unique audience that likes you, that that rocks with what you do, and that that actually wants to like support you. You don't need to have seven hundred million. I'm just making up numbers, but followers on Instagram to have impact. And I know a lot of people who make their whole salary on a thousand followers on on Instagram. So it's definitely possible, and I and I, I'm so happy that. The, the way that you presented it um, is really good. I say, hey, I was just trying to do this, and then I slowly morphed it into something else. I slowly got better at it. Now I start to promote my, you know, my uh, website on social media to kind of help with that. So that's really, really, really smart. Now I, I wanted to also touch on um, your videos. You have a great look. I, I, I guess we can nerd out a little bit about some of the gear that you use, um, some of the software you use, and, and how, do you like, how do you conceptualize something and take it from the beginning to the end? 
So this is where I can say like, I'm not figuring it out. I'm like, I'm, I'm actually, I, I teach as well. So like, it's, this is, this is where my value lies. And, and before I go into my, my nerding out about gear and all that, I'll, I'll encourage whoever is listening right now. Like I said, like I'm, I'm personally growing in business, but I have a really, really strong, like, uh, safety net. You can think of it as that I'm, I'm good at what I do. And I can rely on that. Imposter syndrome exists for everyone, but it should only exist for 99% of things. You should be super confident, ideally, with at least one, two, three dimensions of things that you can be excellent in. And, you know, hold strong and hold fast to those things because you know those things really well. Right? Like, I, I will seed my, my pride for everything else. But when it comes to video, I'm very careful about my... How I present myself. I'm very careful about mm. what I consume because that's my craft. And I know that for a fact. So whoever you are, if you're 17, if you're 31, whatever it is, you can, you can right now figure that out, name it, and then get really, really, really good at it. Everything else can kind of come afterwards. You can kind of figure it out, but like pick one thing, pick two things. Yeah. Um, I use an a7 III, uh, Sony a7 III. I have... The 70 to 180 Tamron 2.8, 2875 2.8, and a 50 mil 1.4. This is my trio of lenses. And for any videographer or photographer, you know that you would usually travel with trio. You know, you don't have two, you don't have yep. one. Most people want three, and then they kind of collect after that. Everything after three is just a collection. <laughs> um, it's true. I have a lot of, you know, support gimbal, sliders, the whole thing. My entire room is lit. You can't see it in the frame right now, but even my room is like lit, like how I would want a set to be lit. Um, yeah, I have, I have a lot of lights. And, and that's, so if you're asking like, how do I get my look? Um, invest in the body second, invest in the lenses first, and then you should already have lights. You shouldn't even have to invest in it because you already have enough lights to, to light whoever or whatever it is that you want to light light is the single most important thing in photography and videography. Don't let anyone else tell you that it's the lenses, it's the body or it's your skill. Uh, no, it's the light because photography and videography are just capturing light in some way. Um, and it's the skill of course, to know how to use the, all the gear along with it. But if you have good light, anybody can take really good photos. You have an iPhone, you have something, but have good light. And if you don't know what good light means, I highly encourage you to study that. It's a whole world. Yeah. Photographers study that for years and years and years. I'm on the, I'm on the journey figuring that out. Um, if you have an, a movie that you admire, look for a cinematographic, cinematographic, let's say that word, breakdown of it. Mm-hmm. Watch the breakdown yep. uh, by the cinematographer. They do because they think about it. People who are really good with lights, think about it a lot how it falls in your face <laughs> how it how it shapes your, your yep, chin your jawline everything you know you understand this for sure so um yeah that's how i get my look this is lights <laughs> it's true and 
I made the mistake of dreaming of the latest body and X, Y, and Z. You know, that's what the really sexy stuff is. Oh, Sigma just came out with this. Sony just did this. And you get caught up with that. And it wasn't until maybe a couple of years ago where I'm like, I got to get the light game going. And I did. And, you know, now I have... A lot of lights. <laughs> I have a whole closet full, and I'm not even like um, I don't I don't do commercial work for video anymore. Really, my whole setup is just for the podcasts. I do some YouTube stuff, like teaching stuff on YouTube, and even still, I you have to have the right light for the right situations. And because I'm a portable, I work in a co-working space, but I have a desk and I have a, a locker here as well. That's where I keep a lot of my gear. Even still, I need to have so many different things. The next thing I'm really working on is the sound. You know, I want to get the quality of the sound, even of this podcast to be higher, better fidelity, better microphones. This thing is like a hundred bucks, but it works for now. You know, I have other microphones as well. I have way too many microphones but yeah i want to consolidate man like there's so many aspects to producing a good shot but i think pre-production planning you know figuring out what the actual idea is and how you're going to execute it that's really i think for me anyways i'm not a running gun style person i love planned shoots and having a shot list and understanding, you know, what exactly are we going to do in this, in this uh, frame of mind or this time that we have. And yeah, that's the way I think the best way to get the results you're looking for is to like spend the time now before the shoot to prepare everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's never been my personal strong suit, but I've learned Mm -hmm. that outsourcing and if you know what you need to outsource if you know what you need to give and and divvy up to other people getting really good at saying hey can you do this is quite an excellent skill to learn in any business or any industry um for example for me i i aim to get really good at video and get really good at every aspect of it audio lighting uh visual set design I, I, I tried to understand all of it to the best of my capacity, but I've, I've settled on one very specific niche in that cinematography. That's why I'm such a, uh, such a shill for it. But you're right. <laughs> there is so much more. There's the planning, and you need to be really good at planning yeah. if you want a good, a good production. You need to be really good at post yeah. if you want a really good end product. So a lot of people need to be really good at a lot of different things, and this goes across for any business that you're running. Creative or otherwise. Or hire somebody. (laughs) You need to hire somebody, outsource, send it off, or find a way for you to do it yourself. Um, Yeah. And that comes with knowing your craft. You know, like the the, the more you know your craft, the more you know, like, I need this one specific thing for somebody else to do because I don't want to do it. I need somebody else to do pre-prod because I, I suck at it or I hate it. Or I'm not willing to do it because it's not worth my time. Whatever your reason is, you have a reason. So you give it off to somebody because you know, and you know the value of it. So when you know the value of something, aren't you willing to pay for it? 100%. Oh, this is a business now. (laughs) We're growing a business because we know the value of the people that we're bringing on, right? The people who don't pay you or who don't, you know, if you're not willing to pay somebody, ultimately it's not because they're not worth something. It's because you don't understand the value that they intrinsically provide. Um, so like you said, with, with being good at pre-prod and letting that lay it out, 
maybe it seems to me that like you know your value in, in pre-production and you know that like this what you do will make for something to be really successful so you build that in i build in right. my cinematography rate i build my i build in my day rate i'm expensive for my day rate when it comes to just pure video not editing i mean i'm a yep. cheap i'm a cheap editor i'm a cheap sound guy and i'm a cheap uh i'm a cheap pre-prod guy you can get me to do that work for minimum wage but if i'm doing that's visuals for you that's what i know that's my that's my wheel gets a checkbook so out. yeah so like you know i, I love it because i love that i, I, I don't that. do that stuff i don't do that stuff anymore either right like uh, i'm happy to do a lot of the planning, producing. Um, someone offered me a gig to film um, a live production um, of like a concert almost, right? It's for a worship set at a church, okay? So this is where people are singing on stage. They got tons of lights. They got all this yeah. stuff. I knew I could easily make, you know, between three, $5,000 doing this. But I know myself, you know, I, I run a web and branding agency. I gave up doing video a long time ago, not because I don't love video. I love making videos. I love creating stuff. But doing it in that sense, in that regard, I know that I would have to edit and I don't want to edit. And I don't have somebody that I can call on to do that type of edit. So I said no to the job. Within your um, company? I gave it to a friend. Or like, you know, in your immediate circle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when I do a job, it has to fit. And you got to know, because like this podcast, I gave up trying to edit podcasts after like the third or fourth episode. I'm it's like, hard. all right, I got to hire an editor. It's very hard. It's not just a little. And you have to make sure that levels match from week to week. So you have to have baselines. You have to have standards. You have to understand what you're doing and how much compression are you using. And are you using LUT, uh, LUF minus 16? Or are you doing like, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm spending all this time trying to learn something that I'm not passionate about. I don't care about. So even for this podcast, I don't do the editing for it. I don't do um, the video editing. I don't do the audio uh, mastering for it. Um, so a lot of it gets taken care of because I value the content and I value what I bring. I'm a good host. I can talk to people well. I present well on camera. And those things have intrinsic value to them that I don't actually have to uh, worry about the rest because everything else, I can find somebody who can do that. Mm -hmm. And so if I had somebody in my network who could edit that style, then because it's different than editing for YouTube, then I would have said yes to that job. But I didn't have somebody in my network at that time who could edit it and I would take the job as my agency would produce this video. So instead, part of me being a creative is access to my network, you know, to my Rolodex. So I told the client, I said, listen, this is not a good fit for us, you know, but I do know somebody who could do it. And they did it. I saw the video they knocked it out of the park and it, look, it makes me look good. It, it actually helps knowing yourself really helps the business side because now you know what you can do and how much you can charge for it. And at the end of the day, every single client wants to be happy. They want what they want and they want to be happy. They so don't want to be say, thinking gonna, about it. They, they don't want to worry. No. They just want it to work and they want it to look good. Yeah. And if you can, yeah. if you can take away as much from their plate as possible... I, I call that the, the, the fee. It's the, it's the no hassle fee. You know, like right. the more you can take away from a client's plate, 
less meetings for them, just deliver something good, less, less things that they need to offer for you because you can create the assets yourself. They don't have to deliver less hassle fee, you know, and, and mm-hmm. you, get, you get good at that over time. You get good at making things easy for other people and making it easier for yourself. And at the end of the day, that ease, it, it stacks up yeah. and everything else falls by the wayside. Like what you're saying, it's like, I could, I could technically do that. Like realistically, mm-hmm. I have, the, I have the, within me to learn or to figure this out, already know how to do it. But there is something out there that I know I can do better, faster, yes. and for more money. So I will not do this. And I will trust that I know somebody else or I'll just let the business go. That's, that's, that's yeah. also respecting the business. I think that's huge. Like, 100%. Kind of touching back you, on what you I said in the it, beginning. Yeah. Knowing yourself is huge. Like two things. If you say yes to something that really isn't a good fit for you, you risk the lost opportunity to say yes to something else that could have been a great fit, right? Like if the same day that this shoot was going to happen, because it took place over two days, I also could have had like an amazing web project. And that's what my wheelhouse is, a web project that would have paid me more money or whatever, or same money. It would have been great um, to have a, a, a uh, what's that called? A press release about it and all that kind of stuff. I lost that opportunity by saying something, yes, that was only, mm, it's not really in my wheelhouse. I'll kind of do it, which sounds crazy. You know, when you're starting out in a business, <laughs> you're saying no to stuff. When you're trying to make money, you're trying to make this your full-time job. But really and truly, when you value what you do and you focus in on that one thing, you say, hey, this is what we do. We are a video production agency. This is what we do. We are a creative agency. Then you actually free your brain up to be like, we're only going for this. This is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to have case studies. We're going to promote it. We're going to talk about it. And when other stuff comes in, as tempting as it can be, you actually say, no, no, my effort actually gets compounded the more that I become the expert in this field. And once in a while, you may do that, but you have to do it on the back burner. Meaning if you have other people within your circle or your network who can actually do the work, then you can do that like that. But you stay in your wheelhouse, it actually will always reward you. You know what I mean? Like that's something that I think people have to think about when there's good and then there's great. So, do you just want good or do you want to have great? And I, it's one of those things that it took me a while to kind of figure that part out to be like, okay, I'm willing to say no to jobs now because um, there's too much scatter. And even now within my business, we're trying to niche even more. That comes with competence, do, I think. Yeah, That's true. That's true. Yeah. Like people, like we used to do like branding and web design for anybody. And we learned a few things. Like what you said, people want stress-free. I found doing personal brands and small businesses, certain small businesses, stressful. Um, and I find that if you know your value and you know that you can solve someone's problem, you it's easier for you to move up to that medium, larger style business because executives only care about results. Executives don't want to worry about it. Executives want you to produce and they want you to be on time and within budget. They don't even want to hear your rationale. If anything, they hate it when you rationalize things to them. They just want it on the desk. They just want it. Yeah. And they don't care what the price, they don't care about prices. Somebody else has to think about that for them. 
They, exactly. they care. So they care enough that they've hired somebody else to care. You're crushing and it, that's, bro. That, and that's wait, exactly it. With us as well. I've I've only figured this out recently, but everything that you're saying and, and it just it just literally in my head I'm thinking, oh, I I just picked that up recently. <laughs> I, I just figured that I out. I love it. Or yeah. I had to fail in some way. I had to let go of a business in some way. I've had so many clients where they come in through the doors, they ask me, I give them my rate, I say that I can do this project, and then I end up burning out of the project because I hate it. The, the money mm-hmm. is not enough, right? Like I can do a really, really awesome video for $0 because I want to do the awesome video because it looks good for me right. and it's something that I would, I would have done anyways at $0. But if you're asking me to edit your podcast, well, that takes a lot of work. That's mundane for me. I, you know, in my head, I think it's yeah. mundane. I wouldn't want to do it. It's not, it's not the creative that I want to do. So you would have to pay me a lot to do it. A Much more than what it's actually worth. Economics. Right. So for everybody, whoever it is, you, you just, the moment that you find the thing that you're willing to work really hard at for zero, and then you show it to somebody and they give it to you for a hundred, you'll be like, I'll take that. And then you realize Mm -hmm. maybe a hundred's not enough anymore because I'm getting really good at this. I'm getting really, really freaking good at this. And a hundred dollars for this is not good anymore. So I'm going to ask for 500 next time or 800 next time or 5,000 next time. Because you're getting good enough or there's enough attention. There's some kind of leverage that you provide to, to the person who's paying. And they're saying, 100%. yes, I'm willing to pay for that. And it's because you started from zero. You would have been willing to do 5000 for zero. 10000 for right. zero. The projects only get better. Like that's the, that's the best part about what I do is that like at this point, I can only imagine the projects getting better and better. And I'm getting paid something that I would agree to. Nobody else Ooh. needs to know what you're willing to, to agree to, but you need to know. Right. You need to be able to put your foot down and say like, well, if I'm going to give you a video and then turn it around in a week, I charge two grand. And, you know, like, no, you can't negotiate down because I know my value. Yeah, no. and, and when you when you pitch the business, can you imagine how weak you look? If you're, if you're talking to a client and you're saying like, I really believe in my work and my work costs $2,000 to, to get it out and, 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 you, and you sell it out there and they ask, you, Can you give me a bit of a discount. I think, I think people should pay attention to when they say yes to that because they're saying yes to being valued at lower. It's fine if you are saying yes to that because, you know, you, if you're fine with a compromise, but you have to realize, yo, you're, you're taking a step down here. You're going back a step because from now on, you're going to realize, you're going to remember that I said yes to 1750. So I'm going to say yes to 1750 for the next person and the next person and the next person. Yep. When what I want is 2000, 2500, whatever the number is, right? You know what you want. You keep cutting yourself short and it, you, what you want becomes lower. And I, had to, I have to continue to learn that the hard way. Asking for too much is too much. Asking for too little is too little. That's such a painful tightrope game to play. 100%. So start now. Like um, whoever it is, <laughs> whoever it is listening, <laughs> if you haven't already started, please start now. <laughs> yeah, I've met somebody just recently 
uh, a creative designer and, you know, she didn't know how to price herself. She's a illustrator. She makes logos. And I'm like, you have to, what it, you know, the typical Gary V thing is whatever you think in your head, double it because it's probably way too low when you're starting out. Um, but I'm like, if you have experience, you have to think about like, is this a livable wage? How many of these would I have to make to survive off of? Do I believe that I have the skill sets to produce the things that other people, my contemporaries, are also creating? And those are the questions you have to ask yourself because maybe to you, then $1,000 is good. And that's okay. Maybe to somebody else, $500 is good. That's exactly what I need. Yeah, 500 bucks, that's, I can do a logo for 500 bucks. I know somebody, we just had somebody on the podcast who was like, my branding packages start at ten to twenty thousand dollars. And I was like, Beautiful. All right, bet. Beautiful. Bet. <laughs> and they, they yeah. probably get maybe three to four, maybe ten clients a year. I wouldn't I I don't yeah. know but like, I don't know them, but you know, they're getting and for my I, I charge about anywhere from eight hundred to a grand for a wedding day, full day. That's my full day rate. Um, depending yeah. on where it is. I, I, I fluctuate depending on like, you know, how far it is for me. Uh, this sure. kind of matters, but like, you know, that's, that's not a lot, but I, in my head, I play a volumes game. I know that I can deliver. I'm, I'm, I'm banking oh. on my youth to play volume for me. So instead of getting one wedding a month at $2,000, cause there's some people that are willing to pay that, uh, oh, $2,000 yeah. for just a shoot. I don't edit. I only shoot. I, I hand off edit to somebody else. So my keep is a thousand, right? And that's what I'm willing to do. I get on any given month three, four, maybe even all eight of the weekends booked. So you add, a, you add that up. If somebody's doing $2,000 and it's really expensive, so you're only getting one or two weddings a month versus the volume guy, the volumes guy, which in this situation is me. Mm-hmm. Oh, so the, the, there's some kind of give and take, but at the end of the day, my yep. wallet is a little bit thicker. So you think about that, right? And there is yep. no one right answer. That person who's asking for 20000 for a branding deal, they know for a reason. They know that it takes long or they know that it takes a lot of effort or they have a huge team to, to compensate. Yep. There's something that they're offering that, that the client's saying yes to. Know it. And if you don't know it, if your answer to that question, all of the questions that uh, Bart asked a while ago, all of those questions, if you can't answer them, replay, replay the podcast, listen to his questions. <laughs> if you can't answer every single one of those questions, find out i don't know how to find out for you because your industry is going to be your industry there's a reason why it's your industry and not my industry but find out because the moment that you can answer what are they willing to pay what am i willing to charge and how hard am i willing to work and then form everything else around that answer all the questions that bart asked you start to become a really good business person if you can consistently ask those questions over and over again and answer them without fail, confidently. How much are you? What can you give me? Can you make it easy for me? Those kinds of things. Yeah. I love it, man. Khalil, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm super excited that you were able to come and to, to share some of your journey, share some of your knowledge. If you got any projects coming up that you want to shout out, please do so. Uh, let us also know where we can find you online. You can find my website, Khalil.co. You can view my most recent professional work on there. If you want to see my experimental stuff, you can follow me on Instagram at Khalil S 
M. That's K-A-L-I-L-S-M. And if you'd like to add me on LinkedIn, feel free. You can find me at Khalil Magtoto. All of those websites have some kind of pertinent information to me. And uh, <laughs> there's a lot on the go right now. So you'll find it on any one of those links. Awesome. And we're going to link all of that stuff down below so you can have quick access to it. Uh, this has been the More Life Podcast. Guys, thank you so much for uh, continuing the support for season four. If you like what you're hearing, please give it a thumbs up or give it a five star review on Apple Podcasts. We're super appreciative of all the support. Peace out. Bye.